to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly. And the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God in your, for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. It's important for you to understand that they were enduring persecutions and tribulations. Verse 5, which is manifest or made plain or made known evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you also suffer, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord is, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, However, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our Lord, of, of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, place your hand upon this study today. Speak through me, Lord. Speak to us. Teach us. Grow us. Help us, Lord, to even have a renewed sense of appreciation of grace and mercy and the accuracy of your word and the knowledge that we have everything we we need in you and in your word that you've placed in our hands. God, help us to live the rest of our life, the remaining years of our life, bringing you glory living for you and being a light in a very dark land, being salt in a very unsavory world. May we, Lord, bring you glory in just our daily lives. But may it start even here right now. As we listen, as we learn, as we grow, and as we mature in you this day, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. You may be seated. So we finished 1 Thessalonians last week, and so as we look into 2 Thessalonians, we, we see that Paul is writing a second letter to the Thessalonians. The time of this letter, it is well received and accepted um, that this letter was written by Paul 
while he was in Corinth. Now, he went and hadn't gone into Thessalonia or Thessalonica, but it was only a, sh- a few short months after the first letter. Now, it's interesting to point that out because we have learned that in the first letter, Paul was warning of false teachers. He was warning of uh, the temptation to fall away and to listen to false teachers. He got this, most believe, from a a person who actually traveled from uh, Laodicea, or or, uh, I'm sorry, Thessalonica, into Corinth to report on uh, how it had been going since the first letter that Paul had written. And as he's giving a report of the church, uh, it didn't come back super well. It came back in such a way that there were some in the church that were being incredibly faithful, as we just read. There were some in the church that were, and the faithful ones were being persecuted for their their walk. Now, mind you, that if you walk with Jesus, you're going to be persecuted. That's just a, a, a given for you and for me. If you're going to walk with the Lord, you will suffer in some capacity, some... Uh, some form of persecution. It can be verbal. It may be even physical. It may be, uh, you know, being ostracized, if you will, and which is what happened back in this day when, uh, you know, a Jew came to know the Lord. What would end up happening is that uh, it, it would be seen by the other Jews as turning their back upon uh, God. And they would ostracize those those people and they would not buy or sell from them. And it would hurt them tre- tremendously. And, and they would oftentimes lose house and home and, and, and business because the, uh, the rest of the community didn't understand. They thought that Jesus was an imposter and that, that anybody who would believe in him would, would, you know, is, is actually introducing a cult into their, into their community and it would destroy their community. And so they would, they would shun him. They would shun that family. But this isn't a largely popular uh, Jewish community. This is a Gentile community. There are Jews in the community. But the thing is, is that there are still those that do not understand. There are those that do not like that Christianity has come into Thessalonica. And there are those that, that understand a little bit, but... They want to go in and abuse the system. They want to go in and infiltrate the church, and we're going to see that here in just a second, in order to utilize it for their own benefit and and rob people. And and Paul is going to talk about these that are being persecuted because of their faith, but also those, what this book is going to, and we're going to see it here in just a second, but, but that Paul is going to address those who are trying to rip these people off. And so Paul sends this second letter back uh, to the Thessalonians, basically reiterating what he had just said in the first letter, just a couple of months later, just a few months after he had written the first letter. The purpose was threefold in this second letter. Um, as we look in, in this, there's three chapters in this verse, in this uh, passage, in this letter that Paul wrote, um, and there are three subject items. The first one here is found in chapter 1, which is to encourage them. It's encouraging the believers there 
through the persecution that they're enduring because they are Christians just trying to live for God. Uh, some of you and, and, and some of us can identify with that. Again, as I said, if you're going to be a Christian today, you're going to suffer some form of of persecution. And and there is going to be, and, and in America, it's not as hard as it is in other areas, right? I mean, we have watched when, you remember back when ISIS was was very strong, they were taking Christians and beheading them. Right on, just, and they were videoing it, and we were seeing that. You know, on social media, you would see this, and it was just disgusting. And these are Christians that are dying because they said, "I'm not going to, I'm not going to turn my back on. I'm not going to renounce my faith in Jesus Christ." And they died for it. They had their heads cut off for it. And and these are martyrs for the Lord. And and they died believing in Christ. But Paul is the first item here that he the first purpose of his second letter is to encourage them through the persecution that they're enduring. Just because they're trying to be Christians, living for God, among a people who were threatened by Christianity and who were rising up against the church in order to squash it from becoming accepted in their region, because they felt that if Christianity gets a foothold, it will take over the region and they would lose their way of life. Second purpose of this, of this letter would be to address and bring clarity again, once again. We just did that back in chapter four and chapter five of 1 Thessalonians, but to bring clarity once again regarding the false teachings and teachers that were spreading spiritually misleading information in order to rip off, plunder, and discourage the church as it pertained to the end times, as it pertained to the gathering up together of the saints to the Lord in the air. As the Lord would come back for his saints, if you were to die, they would be saying that you've missed, you know, they, they missed out. Your loved ones who have died missed out on what it is that is, is gonna happen. You know what? The day of the Lord, they're not going to be able to experience it. They just weren't strong enough to stay alive. Tough for them. And what a horrible thing. To say that you'd live for Christ, you know, you've come to know the Lord and, and maybe months down the road, you end up passing away and dying. And there are those teachers that were infiltrating the church that were going in there and saying, well, I'm so sorry, but your loved one is lost for eternity because they missed out on God. And, and it's a horrible, a horrible teaching. It's a hor- it's, it's absolutely contrary to scripture. But that's exactly what false teachers will do. And so Paul, the second purpose of his writing this letter is to address and bring clarity once again that these false teachers are wrong. They're just wrong. And you've got to be careful. You've got to know your word. You've got to know the Bible. You've got to know that, you know, you've got to know who Christ is. You've got to know what grace is. You've got to understand God's mercy. You've got to understand sin. You've got to understand righteousness. You've got to understand the love of God and the righteousness that he is. The third purpose here was to address and rebuke the actions of some in the church, in Thessalonica as well as in Laodicea, of those who had embraced that Jesus is going to come back. I mean, he's going to come back like we're, we're done. He's done. It's the time's up. He's going to come back any day now. 
And so what ended up happening is a lot of these people are going, well, then what am I going to work for? You ever wonder that as a Christian today, that when you become a Christian, you know, uh, why is it that the Lord doesn't rapture us home immediately when we become a Christian? Wouldn't it be a whole lot easier? I mean, once you see the light, man, I see who Jesus is. I believe that God became a man and he died on a cross for me. And he, he paid for my sin. And he rose again three days later. And he ascended into heaven. I believe that. I accept him as my Lord, my Savior. Poof! And we're just raptured immediately. Wouldn't that be awesome? Well, of course it'd be awesome because we'd never have to deal with sin ever again. But the point is, is that we do remain here on the earth. There is a purpose for us to remain on the earth. Jesus said that, right? Back in John chapter 14 and in 16, he said, listen, he said, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, I can't send the Holy Spirit to you, the comforter, the parakletos. If I go away, I will send them to you. I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm going to send them to you. He'll lead you. He'll guide you into truth. He'll speak not of himself, but of me. And of my father, of the father. And so here's the thing. He, he will lead you. He will guide you. And the point is, is that as Jesus was living amongst mankind, he was living in the spirit of the Lord. I think that if there ever was, I don't think that I'd, I'd find too many dissenters in here, but if I were to say, who was the most spirit filled human being that ever lived upon the face of the earth and then I presented to you Jesus, I think that pretty much most hands would raise. That we would all believe that Jesus was the most spirit-filled man that ever lived upon the face of the earth. I, I believe that. But Jesus says it's to your advantage that I go away. Why? Because as he's walking around in present, in person, he was walking around and the Holy Spirit was working in through him. He was in him and working through him as Jesus was ministering to the masses. He was ministering to the people, but he was ministering in a location. And Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away, for I will send the comforter, the parakletos, the Holy Spirit that is within me. I'm gonna, he is with you, but he will be in you, right? The word in the Greek was para, he's with you, but he will be en, en, in you. He will be in you. So when Jesus left, he sent the Holy Spirit back to come into us. The Holy Spirit is with us to, to convict every person that has ever lived upon the face of the earth. The Holy Spirit is there with an individual to convict them of their sin. But once you have been convicted, once you have acknowledged who God is, who Christ is, the gift of God, and the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ, His death, His burial, His resurrection, your acceptance of that, your belief in that, your confession of that, what ends up happening is that you become a Christian. You become a believer. You become whatever it is that you want to call it. What it is is that you become a child of God. You become His child. You've been accepted in the heavenlies. You have been, you've been accepted as a child. Your sins have been washed away and now you are righteous for eternity because of what Jesus Christ did. Doesn't mean you're not going to sin anymore. 
doesn't mean you're not going to continue to blow it in certain areas. It just means that the Holy Spirit is in you and will guide you to the Lord. He will bring you to a place where hopefully and prayerfully when you sin, when I sin, when we sin, it it causes us to feel remorse, to feel regret, to feel like we have 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 we've hurt our the, the heart of our father and we've come to him and we ask for forgiveness we say lord we've done i have done this i did this i confess it i acknowledge it i confess it god i repent of this and god sets me straight and god forgives me and and i'm i'm right with him and so he, here's the thing the holy spirit comes in and does that to us but the thing is is that he also leads us and so what ends up happening is that we are called Christians. The first time that people were ever called Christians were, it was actually a, a negative term. It was a term that they, oh, those are Christians. It wasn't a positive term. It wasn't, hey man, I'm a Christian. Hey, we're Christians. It was a negative term that, that people were using to mock those who followed Christ in Antioch, Syria. And, and so here's the thing. It's, it's in the north of Israel is where Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch. And the book of Acts tells us that's the first place that they ever called anybody Christians. But it was a neg- had a negative connotation to it. Oh, they're Christians. Those, that's where the Christians are. But for us, as Christians, it's not a negative connotation to me. I, I, I proudly wear that badge. I want to be known as a Christian. Why? Here's the thing. I and you and we are to be walking in this world as Christ would walk in this world. You know, there's a, there's a, a bracelet and necklace and somebody really made a fortune on a saying that somebody wrote many, many years ago um, back in the early 1900s. Um, a book called In His Steps. I, I have it over here. I can't remember the, the fellow's name, In His Steps, uh, off the top of my head. But No, it's not Warren Wiersbe. No, Warren Wiersbe, much, he wasn't in early 1900s. But um, uh, it doesn't matter. But he, he coined the phrase, what would Jesus do? And that was basically the premise of his book. You think that somebody, you know, came up with a clever statement and they put it on all these little bracelets and everything and made a mint. Yeah, what's his name? Charles Sheldon, right? Yeah, Charles Sheldon. He, he's the one who coined the phrase, what would Jesus do? Now, I don't know if somebody else before him did it and he, you know, capitalized on it, but the thing is, the idea is, what would Jesus do? We, we, we saw that. There's still people that wear those little bracelets, earrings, whatever, WWJD, you know. The, the idea behind it is, what would Jesus do though? I, I think that as a Christian, we have to be asking ourselves that question on a day by day basis. What would Jesus do in my position right now? I'm asking that question right now. If Jesus were standing in this, in this pulpit right now, what would Jesus be saying? What would Jesus say? What would Jesus do? And, and so here's the thing. It's what 
is Christ desiring to do through me? What is Christ desiring to do through you? As you saw, and here's how great of a bulletin guy I am. I didn't even go over the bulletin today. Read it, okay? Here we go. 2020 vision. What's God calling you to do? Okay, what's God calling, what's God's calling for you? What's God's calling for you? That's what, that's the, 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 the big point on this, this, this front page. What's God calling, what God's calling for you? Well, here's the thing. When Jesus left and he gave us the Holy Spirit, what ended up happening is that he came into us to lead us and to guide us. And as we do, we now have to ask ourselves on a day by day basis, seek God's face. Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? What would you have me to say? What would you, that's what I'm doing even right now. That's what hopefully you're doing right there. If Jesus were here, what would he be doing? Well, you know, would he correct me on anything that I would be doing wrong? I think so. I don't know that he'd blast it out. Hey, uh, Josh, I gotta, can you mute everything except for number two? There you go. Thank you. Um, what would what would Jesus do? Where if if he were in you? Because that's what it is. Jesus says it's to your advantage that I go away. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, He's with you, but He will be in you. And when He is in you, He will lead you, and He'll guide you, and the Holy Spirit will empower you to live a life that is a blessing that is pleasing and that is righteous before my father and and you'll you'll go out and you'll Jesus says you'll do even greater things than I did so Jesus says it's great that I go away because the holy spirit is going to he's not going to be just limited to one individual he's going to be limited now to everyone who calls upon the name of the lord to be saved and that puts a great responsibility, a, a great knowledge upon us, but a great responsibility upon us, doesn't it? I hope you understand that your life is not insignificant. God handpicked you. God didn't look at you and go, all right, I'll throw him on my team. I remember back when I was in elementary school, we used to have to pick teams, you know, for kickball or whatever it is. And I always hated to be that one that they pick last, you know? But that's not the Lord. I, I look at the Lord and, and, and I see that. And I, 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 I've said this before, but if there was like a string that stretched from this side of the room to this side of the room and on that string represented every single individual's life that ever lived upon the face of this earth, for this time, for this season, for this moment in time, God handpicked you to be his kid. I don't know why he did that for me, and I don't know why he did it for you. I know me. I, w- I don't know that I would have picked me. I don't know that I would have picked you. I probably would have picked all of you. I don't know that I'd pick me, though. Here's the thing. But God handpicked me. God handpicked you. Not because you're insignificant, but because he wants to, he wants to do something in and through you. He says to you, it's to your advantage that I go away because I'm going to, the Holy Spirit is with you and he'll be in you and he's going to lead you. That's not just the world. It's you personally. Begin to learn how to personalize scripture. This is God's word to you. 
God's, God's plan hasn't changed. When you become a Christian, He wants to do a work through you. What is God's calling for you this year? What is God's calling for you today? And so as Christians, we're like to be like Christ's, little Christ going everywhere. Not that I'm the Messiah. I'm not the Messiah. You're not the Messiah. Let's not get too carried away here. But we are filled with the Holy Spirit going out to live the plan that he has placed upon each and every single one of our lives. And here's the radical thing. It's not the same exact plan for every one of us. Oh, ultimately it's the same plan. But what it is, is that we all have different jobs to do. We all have different jobs to do. We all have different people to reach. People that you reach are people that I can't reach. People that I reach are people you can't reach. And that's the blessing and the glory and the awesomeness of who God is, is that he wants to continue to reach the people in this world through us. There, there is the Lord. Christians, being Christians. And, and, and so what was happening is Paul was addressing this. He's saying, these teachers are coming in here. They're ripping you off. They're ripping off the, the Christians. They're, they're in there. Um, oh, I'm sorry. It, it, that, that this number three purpose was that some of these guys, they're saying, here's the thing. Christ is going to come back. He's going to come back. And these teachers are saying, oh yeah, he's coming back any day. And, and I would say, hey, Jesus could be coming back today. Please don't hear me say, go quit your job tomorrow. Please don't hear me say, go and, go and sell all your possessions and live it up and, and go down to the, you know, Caribbean and hang out for the next, you know, until Jesus comes back, because it could come back at any time. That's exactly how many of these people, how some of the church took what these false teachers were saying. And Paul's going, stop it. Don't do that. What these guys were doing in chapter three, you're going to see, Paul's going to hammer down on these guys. He's going, these guys are lazy. If they're not going to work, don't let them eat. Because here's the thing, they, they embraced what these false teachers said. They sold their businesses. They sold their homes. And then they didn't have any money. And so what they did is that they started coming to you and started coming to me and started coming to the church and going, Hey, can you give me food? I need food. I need, I need shelter. I need, I don't want to work because Jesus is going to come back. What's the use? If Jesus is going to come back, I don't want to have to go. Why do I want to work the rest of my life? I want to take it easy until Jesus comes back because it could be next week. Yeah, but it might not even happen in your lifetime. Have you thought through that plan? And that's what Paul's going to talk about in chapter 3. He's going to say, stop these people from doing that. The church is getting lazy and they're taking what these false teachers are saying and they're misusing the information. And, and, and so Paul, that's the purpose of his statement, of, of his purpose to, to write this letter. To encourage them in their persecutions, to warn them about the false teachers, and to keep, and, and to, to rebuke the Christians in the church that took the false teachers' teachings to this next level where they sold everything and they started, you know, milking off of everybody else in the church. And they were perfectly satisfied doing that. And they would prey upon the Christians in the church to be, hey, be a Christian and provide for me. It's your responsibility to provide for me because that's what Jesus would do. And Paul's going, nah, ah, ah, time out. No. A couple things. How this letter 
relates to our church today. The real church. And when I say real and I put my little fingers up like that and saying quotations in quotations, I mean the real church. It doesn't mean Calvary Chapel. It doesn't mean the Baptist church down the street or whatever. It doesn't mean, it means the real church. Those who have called upon the name of the Lord. Those who are truly saved. Those who have repented before God, acknowledged that God became a man, died on a cross, was buried three days later, rose again for their sin. And they accepted that. They've acknowledged their offense before God. They've acknowledged their sin before God. They've received His gift, His free gift of eternal life. I didn't buy my salvation. You didn't buy your salvation. He purchased my salvation for me. I just simply receive it. There's there's no credit that goes to me other than saying, yep, I'll take it. And yep, that was me, Lord. I'm, I was an offense. Lord, I was hopeless and I was helpless. But you, you, you saved me. You made a way for me. I have no, I have no, you know, no credit in this. I have no boast in this. I simply just accepted what you freely gave me. Because of your love that you had for me. I am blessed. That's the cool thing, right? So here's the thing. That's the real church. And there's Christians all over this this world. In different churches and and so on and so forth. There's a lot of non-Christians that are in churches. I don't know if that surprises anybody. There's a lot of non-Christians in pulpits. I remember many years ago, back when I was in Fort Lauderdale, um, there was a, a fella that would, he was a potter and, and he went out. Some of you guys have seen him, Mike Rizell, Pottersfield Ministries. Mike went out and he was traded on Wall Street and he was bored of that and he hated that and it was like poking needles in his eyes to do that. And he went and he talked to the pastor, Bob, and he said, Bob, I don't want to do this anymore. It's, I hate it. I hate Wall Street. I hate that. And Bob says, Mike, if you could do anything in the whole wide world, what would you do? And he said, um, I'd throw pots. And he'd say, you'd, you'd do what? Like, throw them? What, what do you mean by throw pots? He goes, no, 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 I, I'm, I'm a potter. And I would make pots for a living. That's a radical step, wouldn't it, you think? Going from Wall Street to making clay pots in today's day and age? That's exactly what he did. He says, well, Mike, go do that for the glory of the Lord. And his wife was... A, uh, she was a singer. She was a, she was a, a singer that worked for like Carnival Cruise and she would sing on boats and things like that. Well, they were both saved and so they kind of put their two talents together and, and Pam, his wife, would, would sing and he would then give testimony in all of his outfit, you know, on a, on a stage. And he, they did it for a women's conference one time and, and women got saved. And, the next thing, and he was just talking about God being the potter and we're the clay. And he talked about it as he was building a pot on the stage, as he's just giving his own testimony out and what God had done. And he'd make this beautiful pot and then he'd scrunch it down. And you go, why'd you just wreck that pot? You know, and he'd go, but that's what God did to me. I thought I was, I thought that I looked good. And then God broke me down and he made me into a different pot. And sometimes, and what ends up happening is that 
a pot might look good, but it's not usable unless it goes through the fire. I mean, it's a great testimony. It's a great testimony. You go through that fire and you hear it, you know, squeaking and, and everything. And then when we go through fire, we squeak and we, we are burning and it's hot and it's, it's, we go through the crucible. It's a tough time, but those tough times make us usable. And when God was done with me, and he shows this beautiful pot, this is what God did in my life. And God didn't do it just for me. He did it for you. He does it for you. He wants to do that in every one of our lives. And so it, it was awesome. And so somebody said, that was really cool. Could you come to our church and do that? And they, Mike and Pam said, oh, okay. And so they did. And next thing you know, they start getting booked all over the world, all over the nation, I'm sorry. He came back and he said to me when they were first starting off, he says, Don, you'll not ever believe what what happened out there. I go, what? He goes, people are just getting saved all over the place. I said, Mike, that is awesome. He goes, no, 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 you don't, you don't understand. Pastors are getting saved. I said, what? He goes, pastors are getting saved. I'm going to these churches. They think it's this event that's going on. Hey, wait, let's throw a, a potter in here. It's going to be something that everybody's, hey, bring the family. Everything is going to be a real neat little thing. And then he goes in there and he really gets down into the brass tacks and he really gets into people's lives and he talks about the crud that's on the inside of the pot and he pulls it out and he goes, it looks pretty on the outside, but look at what's on the inside. And that's you and that's me. And, and it starts radically hitting people. And he says, and all of a sudden, when I call people up, to get saved there are pastors who are coming up weeping and saying I've never been saved my whole life this is a job for me I don't want this to be a job ever again I want this to be a calling he's going pastors are being saved hey just because you stand behind a pulpit doesn't make you saved just because you have a mouth that speaks doesn't mean that you're saved do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and him crucified and risen forever and ever. Do you have that? I have that. It's not a popular message always. But here's the thing. It's the truth. And the thing is, is that Paul is related, how this letter relates to our church today is that the real church, this real church today needs, we need encouragement We need to have this encouragement in order to be strengthened as we navigate our way through the plethora of false teachings that's everywhere. Everywhere. The outside and the the inside pressures to conform us to become a more worldly and accepted form of a church in our society and our culture and how those erroneous teachings will manifest themselves and, and change what God has intended for His church to be. There's a lot of churches today that are huge and big, and a lot of people go, and a lot of people get goosebumps. But people walk in just as, walk out just as lost as they walked in. And there are pastors that are behind pulpits that are big churches. And there are pastors that are behind church pulpits that are small churches and medium-sized churches that really have no clue on what salvation is. They don't preach the gospel. They don't preach the truth. They don't preach 
the unadulterated word of God. That's what I think. I, I, Tiger started to talk about it a little bit today. And I said, hey, man, we're going to talk a little bit about that in the message today. The church is getting away from this. This right here. This word. This is boring. This is this is old and outdated and boring. Unless we take just little snippets out of it and make a cool song out of it. Then it's cool. Or we take a little snippet out of it and make a cool phrase and we build on that phrase. But to get into this thing and dig into this thing and understand what this thing says, this book, this Bible... This compilation of 66 love letters that God wrote to you and to me. Many churches, they look at this and they say, we don't get into the Old Testament. We only do some of the books in the New. You're not teaching the whole gospel. You're not teaching the Bible. You're You're not teaching about the Lord. Paul says, I never shun to declare to you the full gospel. The full gospel. It's hard. Because people, they get bored real quick. Hollywood's been really neat. And I actually mean that. I like computer graphics just as well as anybody else. I like the way that they can make movies look very, very, very real. I like the stories that they can come up with that can capture your imagination. The thing is, is that I think it's gone overboard. I think it's captured us in such a way that this has become boring because movies are so exciting and there's action every 18 seconds to make you, to make that dopamine in your brain go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when I read the Bible, I'm going, who begat who? I mean, come on. And he begat, why do we even use the word begat? We get bored. We get bored in God's word. We get bored. And, and, And that right there, is a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous place for us. If you have a pastor that doesn't tell his people, hey, get in the Word, read the Word, study the Word. When I teach, go home and see if what I've said is true or not. And if it's not true, would you come back and tell me? Would you come back and talk to me? Because I don't want to misuse this pulpit. I want to teach truth. I want to teach what this Word says. And, and I, if people don't like me, that's okay. That's okay. But a lot of people leave this church for whatever reasons. I've had elders leave. I've had assistant pastors leave. I've had leaders leave. I've had congregants leave over the years. I've been here for night since 1996. Here we are. I will say this. I've never had anybody leave because they said, you don't teach truth. I've had 
many say, I have never been to a church that stays so true to the word of God. I'm not trying to puff this up. Please don't, please don't hear that. I've never been to a church that stays so true to the word and teaches the word as faithful as this church. But, our children's ministry is just not, we don't have enough baptisms. We don't have enough communion. Or we don't have this, or we don't have that, or we don't have, and, and, and it's always the peripherals, and, and they, they say, but the word, you're probably one of the most solid teachers I've ever said under my life. But, I had, I had a group of people go probably 15 years ago, and they said, and I have a letter still. It was one of my elders. I considered him a father figure. And the other was an elder and a board member. Another was a secretary and a deacon. And they all said in different manners, but the Spirit of God is not here. And I'm like, I I am confused. I don't understand. How is the Spirit of God not where the, the Word of God is taught? I don't understand that. Either God honors his word or he doesn't. I believe God honors his word. And man, I'll tell you, this latest thing that has happened, you know, with, with, you know, Pastor Kevin leaving. I almost hung it up. That was my flesh. My flesh was, oh, why, am, why do I keep doing this? I've had pastors that say, why do you do this? Why do you keep going? I had the pastor that I came out of, Bob, over in Fort Lauderdale, tried to woo me back over there. He goes, come on, man. It's not happening. Come back over here. You did your best. Come back over here. I can. I can go. But God's never called me. This is what God called me to. I was just sharing with a brother yesterday. The one thing I always came back with to is that the Lord said, Don, did I call you? Yeah, you called me. Did I call you and Kevin? Well, for a season you did, but when I initially called you, did I mention Kevin's name? Well, no, Lord. No, sir, you didn't. What did I ask? You do this. You follow me. And so that's my call. He has another call. I love him. And man, I wish Kevin and Christine were here. I wish they were here, but they're not. They felt the Lord's call to go somewhere else. And they don't even know where they're going. Maybe they do now. I don't. I don't know. But they're following what they believe God's called them to do. They're not walking out of here going, hey, the Spirit of the Lord isn't here. Let me, let me make sure that you understand that. They're not mad at me and I'm not mad at them. They just feel that this is a time for the Lord to move them somewhere different. And they don't know where, it's go, where they're going. The point is, I will continue to teach the word until the Lord tells me to stop. I don't, call me stubborn, call me prideful, whatever. I don't care what you call me. But please don't call me a man who doesn't stick to the word of God. I want to teach the word. We had Bert Wiseman that came to this church because of a fella that got in an argument with me one day. Came and, 
and and talk to me about the, you know Melchizedek. And I debated with him on this thing. The guy wasn't even going to church. He didn't really ever go to church. He didn't like church. He liked to argue. And we got into a debate one day after church. His wife drug him here one time. Got into a debate on Melchizedek. And I don't want to really get into that. But the thing is, is that I said, man, that was, I believe that that was none other than the Lord. Jesus, in that moment, I think that Christ was here. He was here. And he was there. I believe that, that that was a, that Melchizedek was none other than, than, than Jesus. It was a, prior to him coming upon the face of the earth. I believe that that's who it was. I do. John chapter 8 says, Jesus talking to the disciples, or talking to the naysayers and talking to the Pharisees and the scribes. They're saying, Jesus said, hey, let me tell you, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And they say, are you not yet 50 years old and you say that you've seen Abraham? Well, Melchizedek saw Abraham. And if you go back into the book of Genesis, you're going to see that when Abraham brought the spoils back from getting Lot, he came back in and he offered tithes and offerings to Melchizedek. To Melchizedek who was the king of Salem. Here's the thing. I believe that Melchizedek, we understand, he has no mom, he has no dad. That's what the Bible says. He has no genealogy. We don't really know where this guy came from. I believe it it was Christ himself. We had a little bit of a debate on that. I thought that was the end of it. About two years later, Bert comes to the church. He says, I was talking to a guy down at Living Word. And I had gone to a bunch of churches and I just got sick and tired of all these churches. And I just went to this guy and I said, hey, where's a church in town that just teaches the Bible, that just teaches the Word of God? And this guy goes, hey, I don't agree. I, I kind of got into a debate on this guy on Melchizedek, but the guy knows his, his Word. The guy knows the Bible. Calvary Chapel Christian Fellowship, that's, they're gonna just, that's all they do. They just give you the Bible. I want that to be, if that's a knockdown on us, well, praise the Lord. Here's the thing. I will continue to teach this word until my dying breath, because here's the thing. This is what matters. Programs don't matter. Lights don't matter. Smoke don't matter. A big building doesn't matter. The paint doesn't matter. These little paint splots on the wall were from a family in our church. I'm going to tell you, a family in our church left our church because our, our, our walls were orange. They were orange. They said, we need to paint the building a different color because people come in and they say that the church is orange and they don't like the color of the church. And I said, are you kidding me? The color of the church is what's causing people to leave? He goes, yeah, we need to paint the church differently. I said, but what if I don't want to paint the church differently? He says, well, then maybe it's time for our family to go. I said, I, I, I don't want to see you go, but bye. Because if it's not, if it's the church wall, colors of the church walls today, it's going to be something tomorrow. I'm not going to be able to, to keep up with that. point is we major on the wrong things 
It's the word of God. That's what Paul wrote this second letter to the Thessalonians on. Stay true to God's word. There are false teachers that are getting in pulpits. They got huge churches. Biggest church in America is one of the worst churches in America. He doesn't teach the whole gospel. He doesn't teach on sin. He doesn't talk about hell. Jesus talked more about hell than anybody in all of, on all of scripture. Let's not talk about hell because we don't want to talk about negative things. Stop it. Teach the word. That's, that's what Paul said. The last thing, I'm running out of, I'm out of time. Paul's very last words that he ever wrote is 2 Timothy. It's all, that's the last word that Paul wrote. The very last chapter, the very last chapter that Paul penned, that we have of Paul's writing. He said this, Timothy, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, exclamation point. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince and rebuke and exhort with all long-suffering patience. Long-suffering means patience and love and teaching. For the time will come. This is Paul's message. The very last words that Paul... Paul's up, I'm about to die. Tim, I'm about to die. But if if I can leave you with just a couple of things, this is what I'm going to leave you with. Preach the word. Don't Don't stray from preaching the word. Okay? The word, the word, the word. For the time will come, he says in verse 3 when they will not endure sound doctrine. We're living in that day and age, gang. They will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn their ears away from the truth, and they'll be turned aside to fables. But you, these are Paul's last words. He said, this is what's on the forefront, Tim. This is what is in front of you. And I would say it's the same thing that's in front of us today. But Paul deemed this so important to say this as the final words out of the Apostle Paul's mouth. He says, you, Timothy, you be watchful in all things. Endure the afflictions. They're going to come. Do the work of of the evangelist, of which God's called you to be. He says, fulfill your ministry. And that's my call. I'm going to fulfill my ministry. I don't know how, I, I don't know how being an airline pilot and being a pastor works. Never done it. I don't know anybody who ever has done it. It's happening. Maybe not successfully, but it's happening. I'm here. Praise the Lord. For I am already, Paul says, already being poured out as a drink offering. He's saying, hey, it's time. The time of my departure is at hand. Paul says, listen, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. If I can say those three things, 
If you can say those three things at the end of your life, I don't care how many people are following you. As long as you remain faithful to what God's called you to do, me to do, be careful. Be careful of what is being preached. There are very popular, very, very, very popular teachers that are out there that if you're not careful, you're going to be swayed. There are very popular movements that are out there that if you're not careful, you're going to get swayed. I'm I'm going to just list these things real quick. Though not an exhaustive list and not in any particular order, I'd submit to you my strong morning. I'm just going to read this real quick. I'd submit to you my strong warning and admonishment that you would listen and consider the dangerous fallacies that have impregnated the modern day church. I intentionally use the word impregnated because whenever a new false doctrine or a false teaching is preached from the pulpit or on the airwaves and impregnates the church, the result is that that teaching births an aberration. Which is another step away from God's ideal. Aberration is defined as the failure of a mirror or a lens to produce exact point-to-point correspondence between an object and its image. In other words... God is the image and the church is the object. The church does not look like nor reflect the image of God. Again, I point out the simplest form of truth that I mentioned earlier, and I didn't mention it because I didn't talk, touch that on that part of the notes because I've diverted a little bit. The simplest form of truth that I mentioned earlier, that there are only two paths, the path to God and the path to Satan, which means that if the church does not reflect the image of God, well then, pray tell me, what does the church reflect? There are five areas, and like I say, it's not an exhaustive list. It's not in any particular order. But some of the ways that the church has been impregnated by false teachings, popular teachings, and they're being propagated. Social social and cultural acceptance and justice. We've got to be careful. Does God want to love people? Absolutely. Does he love people so much that he allows them to stay in their sin and he's going to continue to love them in their sin and continue to allow them to stay in their sin and continue to to just go, I'm good with that, that's okay? No. You've got a mis- misunderstanding of God's word. God loves you too much to allow you to stay in a place of sin. Come as you are, of course. But then let the Holy Spirit do the work in you to change you to become more and more like the man or the woman that God has designed you to be. Permissive grace. God loves you, which is correct. He accepts you just the way you are unconditionally. Again, truth. But without repentance, that's a big false. If I don't repent, does God still love me? Yes, he still loves me. But if I don't live by his word, if if I don't acknowledge him the way that his word tells me, if I don't have a relationship with 
him the way that his word tells me. I don't care. I can be going to church my whole life and still miss it. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, many are going to come to me in that day and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't I cast out demons in your name? I mean, for goodness sakes, these guys are casting out demons. And Jesus is going to say, I will declare to them in that day, depart from me. I never knew you. There's a lot of people that are in churches today that God doesn't even know. But they go and they mark on their briefcase, they mark on their Bible cover. Hey, I went to church. I went to church. I went to church. The most popular church in town. Went to church. Went to church. Went to church. Go every week. And part of all their studies, all part of everything, part of, part of all this stuff. But at the end of their life, they're not saved. Why? Because they never truly came to a place where they surrendered their life to Christ. They were part of a social club that was a clean social club. But that's not the parameters on which God calls us to be saved, to be along to a clean social club. It's about radically dealing with sin, radically understanding that I am an offense before God and I need him as my Lord, as my Savior. He needs to rescue me. He has to rescue me or I'm lost. And I have no hope. I am a sinner and my sin is an offense to God. That's it. That's not a popular message. Experience, emotionally driven, or extra biblical experience and teaching beyond the scope of scriptures. Hey, when feelings become the identifying standard, we've lost grip on truth. If because I say, hey, I walked out of there and I had goosebumps, man, did I have goosebumps. If that's your, if that's your objective, to get goosebumps. I, let me just say, I get goosebumps when the Bucks score a touchdown. That doesn't mean it's going to send me to heaven. That just means that I like the Bucks and I like it when they win. Has nothing to do with salvation. And a worship song that we can get goosebumps on when it's wrong, when it's theologically wrong, there are certain songs I don't sing in here. That I just, I look at and I just go, why would we, why would we even propagate that in here? But it's such a beautiful tune. I don't care. I think Eric Clapton's cocaine song has a really catchy tune. I don't listen to it and I don't sing it. No, that's all you're going to remember today. Watch. But just because it makes me feel, wow, that's a really cool tune, doesn't mean that, that it's right. And for goodness sakes, in a church, I'm not going to sing a worship, a worship song that is absolutely theologically blasphemous. I'm just not going to do it. But everybody sings it. It's such a good song. I don't care. I don't, I don't do that. Man-centered and not God-centered. When church becomes man-centered, not God-centered, that church is sick, and it can be huge. Interfaith collaboration. That's big right now, huge right now. Let's join arms with our Muslim brothers, and let's, let's come together and let's have a big prayer service together. I'm thinking, I don't see Jesus doing that. I don't see Jesus doing that. I, I don't I have a hard time with that. I have a hard time when you got 
cults that are coming along and you're joining arms with them and you're saying, I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to agree with you. No, 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 no. We can't agree on that. And and it, some might look at that and go, that's very, very, very unloving of you. Hey, you know what? It's going to be very unloving of Jesus when he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Will you say that to him at that time? Depart from me, I never knew you. Wait, they were so genuine, they were so sincere in what they did. Adolf Hitler was sincere. Sincerity is not what gets us to heaven. They were so loving. I don't care. What did you do with Jesus? If if being so loving was the parameter to get us to heaven, was the identifier, was the was the the precursor to get us to heaven, well then I'd be all over it. Does God want us to be loving? Absolutely. But does God want us to have a relationship with him? That is the point. And if I have a relationship with God, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. That's it. It's so hard to live this way, Pastor Don. Peter, he, he writes in Second Peter chapter 2, he says, There are also false prophets that are among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought who bought them. And they'll bring on themselves swift destruction. And now listen to how Peter continues. And he says, And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. The church will run after, the people will run after that because it's popular. Be careful of joining a church because it's popular. And finally, this is it. We look at it and we go, man, Pastor Don, how, how do you expect me to, to live this way? I mean, will people not think that I'm not loving? <clears throat> will people think that I'm not, that, that I don't care? That I'm not like Christ? Well, I would say that Jesus, he pointed out sin. He wasn't okay with sin. He didn't join himself to the Pharisees because, well, they were worshiping God. They were actually worshiping Jehovah God. They just weren't doing it right. And Jesus said, no, those guys are just, they're just as much a son of hell as those that, that they're, that they're trying to become just like them. You know, they go out there and they proselytize and they make those that they proselytize even a, a person that's twice as much of a son of hell as they themselves are. Jesus said to these guys who were religious leaders, he's not locking arms with them. He's saying, you are of your father, the devil. Man, that's not loving Jesus. Don't you know that that's going to get kicked you out of a lot of churches in America? Don't you know that people are going to turn their back on you when you say things like that? They're going to go, that's not the Christianity that I know because God would never be unloving like that. Jesus did it. That was Jesus. He said to the religious, he says, you are of your father, the devil. <laughs> he didn't mince words. He wasn't some little Casper milk toast out there that waddled around and, and tiptoed around areas so that he didn't offend anybody. He just, he taught truth. He spoke truth. And I, and I, I'm trying to, as Paul was trying to do with the Thessalonians and the, and the, and the Laodiceans, warn you, don't, I, maybe some of you guys won't even be back after this, but here's the thing. 
when you go, if you go, I don't want you to go, but if you go, be aware that you are susceptible and I'm susceptible to the false teachings that are out there. We are so susceptible to joining ourselves to the people that say that they're Christians and it's popular. I was a part of a huge popular church, two of them, huge, two of the largest churches in America. Now I'm a part of a, one of the smallest churches in America. But you know what? It, the fact remains the same. If this isn't the standard that we live by, then we're not a church. We're not a church. We're a club. Do you have a relationship with the Lord? Here's the thing. It's so hard, Pastor Don. Go back and read Romans chapter 1. I don't have time to read it. Verses 18 through 32. And see what Paul had to say. He talked about the sin of the day. He talked about he talked about sexual promiscuity. He talked about disobedience. He talked about homosexuality. You go, well, that was Paul back in that time. It was they don't even know how bad it is today. Listen, it was worse. It was a common practice back in that day. The Caesar was a part of it all. The Caesar had a gay lifestyle. And, and, and here's the thing. Paul talked about it in Romans chapter 18, or chapter 1, verse 18 through 32. And he made no bones about it. The thing is, was it a popular message? No, was it? And I know sometimes we just focus just on homosexuality. It's not just homosexuality. It's any form of sin. He pointed it out and he says, stop it. Don't do these things. The, those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Not only those who do them, but those who practice. Not only those who practice, but approve of those who do these things. Be careful. Paul says, you say, how can I live this life? I don't know, Paul did it. I did, I, I, and I leave you with this. If Paul were in this pulpit today, how many people would be here? How many, how many conferences would Paul be invited to to speak with that message? If we are hard-pressed to answer that question, then we've just answered the question of how sick America's churches are. The only way to get well is the medicine of this book. Get back into the Word. Don't ever deny this word. This is God's love letter to you. 66 of them. Read it as such. That makes sense? Father, thank you so much for today. I pray, God, that today is heavy was a message that was heavy. But Lord, Paul's message to the Thessalonians was heavy. And I pray, God, that I never teach a heavy message for for emotion purpose. I pray that if I've said anything here today that was not of you, God, that you'd erase it from their minds, from any hearer's minds. But God, if what I've said here today is of you, God, will you sink this so deep down into our souls that it causes radical change in each one of our lives? And then we trust you. 
with our lives, we stop being fearful of the world and what they'll say when we live this life of uncompromise with no hypocrisy, but Lord, that we would live for you in your ways. God, may we surrender ourselves to you fresh and new right now and tomorrow and from this day forward. When we meet you face to face, God, may we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your rest. But until that day, Lord, may we all tarry, being led by the Holy Spirit for every step that we take until you come back for us. And may we not be swayed by the false teachings that have impregnated the church. But may we find the word of God to be our umpire on what is right and what is wrong. And may your Holy Spirit give us the wisdom and the discernment to know the difference. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So... Did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.